The following resource is from lmpc.org and we're delighted to provide it freely to all. If you feel led to give towards the ministry of Lookout Mountain Presbyterian Church, we welcome you to do so at lmpc.org slash give. A reading from Isaiah chapter 62 verses 8 through 12. The Lord has sworn by his right hand and by his mighty arm, I will not give you grain to be food for your enemies, and foreigners shall not drink your wine for which you have labored. But those who garner it shall eat it and praise the Lord, and those who gather it shall drink it in the courts of my sanctuary. Go through, go through the gates, prepare the way for the people. Build up, build up the highway, clear it of stones, lift up a signal over the people. Behold, the Lord has proclaimed to the end of the earth, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your salvation comes. Behold, his reward is with him, and his recompense before him. And they shall be called the holy people, the redeemed of the Lord. And you shall be called sought out, a city not forsaken. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. Well, good morning and welcome again to Lookout Mountain Presbyterian Church. My name is Will Nettleton. I'm one of the pastors here. We are delighted to have you with us this morning, especially if you're visiting or if you're a guest. If you're new in any way, special welcome to you. Thanks for being with us this morning. Uh, if you are new with us, you may not know, but we are actually in the middle of a three-year campaign that we have called the Renew Campaign. And we kicked this off last October and in this three-year season, we're praying that God will use this season to renew not only our facilities, that is one of the prayers. We've been given this historic building, this beautiful building, and as is the case with historic, beautiful buildings, they need uh, maintenance and repair. And so we are in a season where we need that. This building needs to be renewed. But as we have had that opportunity to pursue that, we're also praying that God would renew us as a people. We are praying in these three years that God would grant us and our community revival. That God would come and work in a mighty way in our midst. And so every October during these three years, we're going to return to this section of the book of Isaiah to consider what it might look like for God to work renewal in our midst. Because really, this entire section is all about that for the people of Israel who are in exile. It's about renewal about returning to their God. In this section of Isaiah, the people of Israel uh, are in exile. Due to their sin, God has allowed them to be defeated by a foreign empire, to be removed from their homeland. And you can imagine, they simply want to return home. They want to go back to Jerusalem. And in this section of Isaiah, the prophet is promising them that salvation is coming. A deliverer is coming. God will not forget them in exile forever. And in our passage specifically, Isaiah lifts the eyes of the people to a certain and glorious future. He gives them a vision of the future that is promised and that is sure. You can see our outline there in your bulletin this morning. In verses 8 and 9, we'll look at the fact that God gives his people a certain and glorious vision of the future through his reassuring oath his promise, his covenant to his people. A day is coming when the curse will be no more. Verses 10 and 11, we'll see his welcoming call to all people. 
And then in verse 12, we'll see his amazing declaration of his people's identities. So those are the three components of this sure and glorious future that Isaiah shows us. So before we unpack the text together, let me pray, and we will ask God to send his Holy Spirit among us now and to bless our time in his holy and inspired word. Let's pray together. Our great God and heavenly Father, you have told us that your word is no empty word, no vain word. It is our very life. We do not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. You've also promised, God, that when your word goes out from you, it does not return to you void, but accomplishes whatever purpose that you have for it. So we ask that you would do that even now. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing to you, our rock and our redeemer. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. I wonder if you remember being a child and asking your parents for something, and perhaps your parents were being wishy-washy as they said, yes, yes, you know, they were working on something else, but they were telling you, yes, they were going to give you that thing, but you had suspicions that maybe they were not as committed to this as you were. And so you followed it up with the three words that strike fear into the heart of every parent in that moment. You know what they are? Do you promise? Do you promise? I mean, think of all the ways that we as children contrive of to try and get promises to be a little more solid. Pinky promises, right? Pinky promises with no take-backs. Cross your heart and hope to die. We learn it from a really early age, don't we? We want it in writing. We want something solid, some firm commitment. Do you promise? We have a sense from a very young age that when someone promises something, that carries more weight. It has greater significance. And so it's significant in our passage that it begins with Isaiah saying, The Lord has sworn. The Lord has sworn. And Isaiah tells us it is no ordinary promise. He says that he swears by his right hand and his mighty arm. What does that mean, his right hand and his mighty arm? Throughout the scriptures, especially the Old Testament, you will see that referenced, God's arm uh, referenced whenever the biblical authors want to talk about his power, his might, his saving power. And in fact, what Isaiah is telling us is that when God swears by his right arm, by his mighty power, he's saying, you can take it to the bank. This is a guarantee. And what is it that God is promising so mightily, so powerfully? Look back at verse 8 with me. The Lord has sworn by his right hand and by his mighty arm, I will not again give your grain to be food for your enemies. And foreigners shall not drink your wine for which you have labored. It may sound obscure to you. God tells Israel that he won't give their grain to be food for their enemies. But if you remember earlier in the Old Testament, the way that God talked to Israel as they made covenant promises with one another, all the way back in Leviticus 26, God had told Israel, if you don't listen to me, if you're disobedient, if you don't keep my commandments, one of the consequences of that will be that your enemies 
are going to eat the food that you harvest. And of course, in exile, that's come to be true. Their work goes to their enemies. It's one of the consequences of their disobedience and sin. But in our passage, what God is promising them is that there's a day that's coming when that will be no more. When the consequences of the curse will be no more. The price will have been paid. A day is coming, Israel, when you are going to eat the food you harvest, not someone else. And you're going to drink the wine that you make, not someone else. And where is this eating and drinking going to take place? Look back at verse 9. But those who garner it shall eat it and praise the Lord. And those who gather it shall drink it in the courts of my sanctuary. Isaiah says they are going to enjoy it in the presence of God himself. In his courts. So that's the strong promise that God is making. Can you imagine what a promise like that would mean for a people in exile? Think about this. A people who have been conquered, who have been captured, who have been displaced, who have no hope of defeating their enemy, to get a promise from their God, an end to your oppression is coming. You will no longer be at the mercy of the enemy. You will enjoy the fruit of your labor. And how do you know that? How do you have hope that this will come to fruition? Because God has promised. God has promised. And they have a history with this God. They know the kind of things that he can do. They remember him as the one who delivered his people out of slavery in Egypt with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. This is the one who has always been faithful, even when they have been faithless. They know that God keeps his promises. And so when he says, one day is coming when the curse will be no more, that is a lifeline for this people. And of course, we today, on the other side of the cross, with the New Testament and the fuller revelation that we have, know even more fully about the end of history that Isaiah is talking about here, about the day that's coming when the curse will be no more. Think about what the end of the Bible says in Revelation chapter 21. Let me just read it to you. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them. And they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. That's the day that's coming. The Bible tells us. Can you imagine that? Perhaps that's a lifeline for you this morning as you struggle with chronic pain or love someone who does, that there's a day coming when that will be no more. Perhaps you have spent days and nights weeping for the grief that you suffered in this life. And your God promises that there is a day coming when he will wipe those tears from your eyes himself. Perhaps you have wept over too many deaths recently. 
our God promises there is a day coming when that will be no more. The curse will be lifted and we will feast in the house of Zion with our God. As we seek and hope for renewal in these three years together, one of the ways that we can hold on to the hope that that could even possibly happen is that we have a God that has promised this is the end of history. There's a day coming when we will dwell with Him, when we will experience blessing and curse no more because He's promised. And He keeps His promises. He's not a man that He can lie. He is God. And God's promises demand a response. Which takes us to verses 10 and 11, God's welcoming call to all people. Look back at verse 10 with me. Go through, go through the gates, prepare the way for the people, build up, build up the highway, clear it of stones, lift up a signal over the peoples. This chapter references Zion, which is just another word for Jerusalem, right? The holy city, the capital of Israel, uh, over and over again. But it's not simply talking about that physical city. If you know your Old Testament, you know that Jerusalem and Zion becomes this catch-all for the place where God's people dwell with Him. It takes on greater significance than just the physical space itself. It's a stand-in for the city of God where He dwells and where His people will dwell with Him forever. And so verse 10 calls the hearers to go through the gate. Go through the gate of that city to dwell with your God and prepare the way for the people. Now it says the people first. It's clearly talking here about Israel. But then what are they to do? Once they've done that, once they've prepared the way for the people, what are they to do? They're to build up the highway. They're to clear it of stones. And they're to lift up a signal or a banner over the peoples. Plural. Did you notice that? Prepare the way for the people. But then it mentions the peoples. God is not just calling Israel in. He is calling the nations in. People from every tribe, nation, and tongue. And so the image Isaiah gives us here is you go in. You make it ready for the ones who are coming behind you. Clear out the road. Smooth it out. And once you've done that, as the nations come in, you parade them in. You throw the banner up over their head. And you welcome them in to the city of God. The people are to come in that the peoples might come in. If you remember God's promise to Abraham way back in Genesis, this has always been the plan. God chooses Abraham to be the father not just of one nation, Israel, but of many nations. God tells him, I will bless you that you might be a blessing to all other nations. And so from the very beginning of God's relationship with Israel, He has wanted to reach the rest of the world through them. God is welcoming all people to come, to come and dwell with Him. But don't miss the action that the hearers are called to by Isaiah. They are to build up the road and clear it of stones. They're to lift banners over the peoples as they come in. What does that mean? 
I think it means that they are to remove the barriers that keep people from coming into the city of God. One of our prayers as we go through this season of renew is that God will give all of us a renewed sense, a renewed zeal for evangelism. A desire, a passion to share the gospel. Our prayer is that our hearts will catch on fire with a desire to see our lost friends and neighbors come to know Jesus like we know him. That they might hear the good news and believe as we have believed. And if God answers that prayer, it will mean that people come to faith. And some of them, we hope, will join our church. And they'll be baptized here. Don't you long to see adults standing at this baptismal font? Don't you long to see friends and neighbors standing here proclaiming, I was blind, but now I see. As we hope to see that happen, Lord willing, one of the questions we will have to wrestle with is, are we making it harder to enter the kingdom than the Bible does? Have we raised more barriers than the gospel does? See, the good news of Jesus will always be offensive to the world. That salvation that verse 11 talks about, the very fact that we need saving, is offensive to those who are of the world. I mean, think about it. Think about what our message is. You are a sinner in need of God's saving grace and without hope, save in His sovereign mercy. But if you will receive and rest upon Jesus alone, you will be saved. That first part is a tough pill to swallow for many. But we cannot and we will not apologize for it. We are not ashamed of the gospel. For it's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. But the church of Jesus Christ has always struggled with adding to the requirements of the gospel. As we see folks come to know Jesus and join our church, please, Lord, please, Lord, let us see that. As we see it happen, will it be enough for people to come and to say, I need no other argument. I need no other plea. It is enough that Jesus died and that he died for me. Will that be enough? Or will we require more? Will they need to dress a certain way? Will their politics need to align with ours? Will they struggle to find their place here? Or will they find a people who cleared the road, who lifted up a banner that said, Welcome home. Welcome to the city of God. I don't ask those questions to shame us, by the way. These are not struggles unique to this particular church, right? Every community of Jesus followers for the last 2,000 years has had to struggle through these questions. Think about the book of Galatians, what Paul says there, or the book of James. We have always struggled to welcome people in. But these are questions that we must ask. Are we putting up more barriers than the gospel does? Or are we building up the road? Are we clearing it of stones? 
and welcoming people into the city of God. Before we move on, just to reemphasize, verse 10 says, lift up a signal over the peoples. God is extending this call to everyone, everywhere. And so, yes, we long to see our neighbors here on the mountain in the city come to know Jesus. But if you know our mission statement that we trumpet so often, we also want to see people around the world come to know Jesus. And so another one of our prayers is that God would raise up more missionaries from this congregation. It's one of the things we are praying for, even during these 30 days of concentrated prayer. You'll notice there are a couple written in there towards that end. But over these three years, we want to see more missionaries raised up and sent out from our congregation to share the good news of Jesus. And so I'm not asking you this morning to commit to becoming a missionary. But I am asking you to ask the question. Have you ever prayed and asked God, Lord, am I called to go? Have you ever even asked the question? Not asking you to answer that question this morning, but I am asking you to ask it. God calls us to build up the highway that the peoples might come in. That may raise a question for you. Why should we do that? Why should we share the gospel with our neighbors or go across the world to share it with those who haven't heard? And Isaiah provides us with a beautiful reason in verse 12. God's amazing declaration of his people's identity. Look back there at verse 12. They shall be called the holy people, the redeemed of the Lord, and you shall be called sought out, a city not forsaken. This is the reason that we share the gospel with our neighbors. It's the reason that we commission and send out missionaries. Because this is what God offers to all people who want it. A new identity. Look at all of those new names. A holy people. Holy means set apart, devoted to the Lord. Raised from a common purpose to a holy purpose. He calls them redeemed of the Lord. In the Old Testament, this word redeemed is often used to talk about how when someone would have to sell their land to pay a debt, their relative could buy it back. They could redeem it for them. So to redeem was to act like the closest of family. And Isaiah says those who dwell with God are the redeemed of the Lord. He has bought us back. Reminds me of what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. You are not your own. You were bought with a price. The precious blood of Jesus Christ himself. Verse 12 finishes by returning to that image of God's people as a city. He says, you shall be called sought out. A city not forsaken Isaiah says, God did not give up on us. He pursued us until he got us. And so if you're not a Christian this morning, I want you to hear what God is offering you. A new identity. A new name. Your failure, your shame, your sense of inadequacy do not have to be the end of the story. You may feel like you have sold out to someone or something else. 
God wants to buy you back, to redeem you. You may feel like no one cares about you or wants you. But this passage says that God is seeking you out right now. He longs for you to be a part of this city that will be called sought out, not forsaken. So if you have never done so, why not turn to God today? There is a God who is seeking you this morning, who longs to be in relationship with you. And if you will receive and rest upon Jesus Christ alone, this can be your identity today. If you would like someone to pray with you, I will be at that back door when we are done. I would be delighted to pray with you this morning. We would love to lift up the banner and welcome you home to the city of God. For those of you who have believed on the Lord Jesus, this passage offers us hope. Our God has promised us a certain and glorious future, and he always delivers on his promises. So let us smooth the road and invite others to come with us. Do we not have a glorious salvation? Think about what the Lord has done for us. From heaven, he came and sought her to be his holy bride. With his own blood, he bought her, and for her life, he died. Is there any better news that we can share with our neighbors, with our family and friends who are lost, with those across the world? Than that. Let's remove the barriers. Let us build up the highway and let's raise the banner and welcome God's people home. Amen. Let me pray for us as we prepare to sing. God, we praise you that you did not leave us in our sin and in our shame to fend for ourselves, but that you sought us out that by the blood of Jesus you have redeemed us, that we are indeed a city not forsaken. I pray for us in these three years of renewal and beyond, Lord, would you renew us? Would you revive us? Would you welcome into our midst outsiders, those who have no hope, sinners who are turning to find a God pursuing them, Would you help us to remove the barriers and welcome them in? And I pray if there are any here this morning, God, who are not yet believers, would you open their eyes to your wondrous love for them and that glorious day that is coming when sin will be no more, when tears will be no more, when pain will be no more, and we will dwell with you forever. Pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.